Well, good morning. I love the mood in here this morning. It was like the comedy club during the announcements. <laughs> and it fits perfectly because I'm in a great mood this morning too. Some of you know that Leah and I, we got each other for Christmas a wood stove. And the wood stove saga is finally over. Yes, yes. It passed inspection on Tuesday. My daughter Ella's been hanging out in front of it like every day. It's been awesome. Now I bring up my wood stove because I want to tell you the story behind the brick wall. Now from far away, that looks pretty good, right? <laughs> Up close, you might be like, yeah, there's some telltale signs of a DIY project right there. <laughs> now this is my first time doing any bricklaying. And I'll just say that when I started the project, I had no idea what I was doing. I went to Home Depot because Home Depot is like the best place for the cheapest things. And I go there by myself um, and I, I, I get into the aisles, which are about a quarter mile long. Um, and I'm thinking, I know that what I need is some mortar. Um, and so I, maybe I'll find somebody with an orange apron to come help me, which there was nobody in sight. And, you know, I w walked down three or four aisles. Finally, I saw somebody. He was all the way down a quarter mile stretch to the other end, and he was just turning the corner to the other one. I go over, and he's not there anymore. I don't know where he went. Finally, I found somebody. I, I, I got him. We walked over to the, the mortars. He showed me where they were. And then I said to him, I was like, so what's the difference between an S and an N and an O or an M-type mortar? And the look on his face was just priceless. Like... You know, this was rocket science. The poor guy, though. I mean, he really did. He tried his best, and then at the end of at what he said, his explanation, he said, but I usually work in the hardware aisle. <laughs> so I thought to myself, I'm not going to trust what he just said. Um, I didn't know really what I was doing. And this is kind of the way I do a lot of things, actually. I often do it this way. I like to go it alone. I like to learn something new. There's a, there's a good spin to it. But it's crazy because unfortunately I went to the store that it emphasizes cost, cheapness, when in reality I had no idea what I was doing and I could have very easily called like Johnny It's and Handel or like 10 other expert masons in this church and just said, hey, what do I do? But I started off by trying to go it alone. Now, the reason why I'm telling you about this is because I think this is a great example of how we think about following Jesus or how we operate with following Jesus. We embrace the American ethic of the maverick, the lone cowboy. Individualism. And maybe we get, get to the places after we've met Jesus where we encounter things in our life that we don't know how to tackle yet, like, wow, I'm a very angry person. Or, wow, my heart is filled with greed or selfishness. You name it. And if we are the maverick lone cowboy type, what we're going to do is we're going to take it as a DIY project. I'm going to search on Amazon for the right book about this and white-knuckle my way through tackling it. And it's crazy because we do not have to go it alone. And this is even if we have the wherewithal to notice the areas in our lives 
that are in need of, of growth and the need of, of some correction. The crazy thing is, is that we do not have to follow it alone, and yet we often choose to do this. Author Dallas Willard puts this bluntly. He says, the greatest barrier to growing as followers of Jesus is overconfidence in the spiritual effectiveness of us doing it on your own and just attending regular church services. He says, they are vital, but they are not enough. It is that simple. You can't get everything you need to follow Jesus by going to a worship service once a week. This is what Dallas Willard says. And in fact, a lot of research shows that, that more and more of, of the younger Christians don't see the need to be members of a church at all, and they prefer to get their spiritual fill remotely on YouTube and Google, following Jesus alone. I wonder, if that's all we really need, shouldn't we just get like the best preacher in the world, get them a camera, and we could all attend Bedside Baptist. And we could be transformed without even leaving our beds. That'd be amazing. And of course, I'm being ridiculous. And if you were here last week, you remember what I said. It is abundantly clear that what happens here when we sit under God's word for worship is that we share our lives and we invite one another into our businesses. But when I said that last week, you might have rightly thought, is that even possible here? I mean, when we gather for, for worship, throughout this building, there's about usually a little less than 200 people that are here. And we have a church body that gathers from closer to 300 people. It's pretty big when we can gather all together. Each of us carrying our own struggles, our own health issues, our own family concern, our own joys, our own exhausting jobs. And it feels almost impossible to get really deep with everyone else here. So I said last week, I hope coming here is the starting place. But what could be the next step? This morning we're going to take a look at a different context of discipleship in our church. A different context of learning how to follow Jesus more within our church. And last week we talked about when we gather together in this space. And this week we're going to talk about small groups. And we're going to see this truth from Scripture that we aren't meant to follow Jesus alone. But we need to find others to share life with as we follow Jesus. Our text this morning is from the book of Acts. Um, chapter 2, verses 42-47, that's the actual book this time. I know last week I completely fooled everybody. Um, page 884 in the Black Pew Bibles, Acts chapter 2, verses 42-47. Now Acts is the second book that Luke writes. Luke first wrote the gospel that bears his name which tells the story of what Jesus was doing, his ministry. But Acts is his, sort of his follow-up. As Jesus ascends into heaven after the resurrection, this is the story of the church and what they did and how they responded after Jesus rose again and ascended into heaven. Acts 2, 42-47. And you'll remember last week I encouraged you to bring your Bible, so I hope there's more and more of them in the pews this week. And I'll just reiterate it again. I want to continue to encourage you. Bring your Bibles. If you don't have one, we can get you one before you leave today. Acts 2, 42-47, I will have it on the screen though. Hear God speak through His Word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Now we should stop right here because you will rightly note that what Luke is describing is not a small group. At least not a classic small group in the sense that we have in the church today. You know that 8 to 12 women gathered in a living room studying the new Beth Moore book study series. This is the picture we maybe we have in our brain. That is not what's happening here. Luke is describing the only church in the world. The church in Jerusalem. Right after Jesus ascended. Right after the day of Pentecost. Acts says that there were 120 believers. And then on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching, 3,000 people were added to their number. So really, what's being described here is 3,120 people. Not exactly a small group. But not so fast. Because they didn't meet like we do today. In fact, those 3,120 people, they still went to the synagogue. They still went to the temple on the Sabbath. But what they did do, which is described in our text this morning, was likely a lot more like a small group than anything else. People met primarily in small homes. And this is true throughout the New Testament. Whenever we read one of Paul's epistles, his letters to the churches, this is what I want you to picture. I want you to picture a first century home and people gathered together in their homes. The people who had met Jesus, who had heard the gospel, meeting together throughout the week and doing just what Luke describes here in Acts. So let's look into what Luke is describing here this morning in our text. We're going to sit under it together and see what God has to say. The first thing is Luke begins by describing the characteristics and the qualities of what that church did by saying first that they devoted themselves to growing. This isn't just as they found time, they occasionally in their busy schedules considered, you know, is there something new for me to learn? They devoted themselves to the Scriptures, to the apostles' teaching. Devoted. This is the word that we get a devotional from. Who's heard of a devotional? Yeah, quite a few in the room. Yeah, or a devo. We, sh- we shorten it. There you go. You've heard of it. Yeah. I love this because a devotional book, when you, when, you, when you hear of that, like, oh, this is a devotional. I did my devotional this morning. What we think of is it was brief. It was short. It was like five minutes. It's a one-pager is what a devotional is. And it's crazy because it's so misleading. I mean, this whole idea of why it's called a devotional book is not about it being short. It's about the heart condition that you approach it with. It's called the Devo because it's about the heart condition of an action of being devoted. They were completely devoted to growing an understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus because they knew they didn't get it all. The riches of understanding God's grace, His plan, his mercy, his majesty, how we can grow. It is unending. 
The riches are unending. And no one arrives at a perfect understanding in this life. Consider the 12 disciples of Jesus. Whom we get our small group model from? The 12 disciples of Jesus. They lived with Jesus for three years. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. They ate with Him. They had direct access to the source. And yet we find hysterical moments like the one in this text right here where Jesus responds to Peter and says, are you still so dull? (laughs) Now Jesus isn't being mean. He's just being deliberate in saying this point. You haven't graduated yet (laughs) to a perfect understanding. And Jesus knows this. And in fact, in the same section of Matthew's Gospel, we see just one of my favorite texts that, that shows us what we're after this morning. It shows us the nature of Jesus helping His disciples as a small group. In Matthew 13, Matthew writes, Then Jesus left the crowd, left the teaching of the crowd. He went into the house. His disciples came to Him and said, Can you explain to us what you just said? <laughs> Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And Jesus answered him. And he walked them through it. Line by line. Item by item. To help them grow in understanding. The early church was imitating how Jesus' disciples would sit at his feet. They'd pull him aside after and say, I don't know what you're after. Help me out. I want to grow in understanding. I want to get this. They devoted themselves to what Jesus was saying and doing. And now in in Acts, they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What were the apostles' teaching? We see it throughout Acts, what they were doing. They taught the words of Jesus, the very words of Jesus, the teachings. They taught how every word of Scripture points to who Jesus is. It's the great story of God's love from the first page to the last. God's love poured out for us ultimately in the person of Jesus how the whole story pointed to him this is what they were devoted to the first quality of these new followers was that they devoted themselves together to asking and learning together how it is that we grow what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and trust me they would have had huge questions they had just been captured by the gospel and their whole lives were being upended And they knew with an urgency that we we actually have to stop and gain some understanding here. And they gathered together partially to find others to share life with as they follow Jesus. The passage continues. The second thing we see here that Luke describes is that these little house churches were sharing everything and they were serving one another. What he's describing is a unity that feels kind of crazy and impossible in our 21st century world. The unity is is stressed in two ways. First, that they were together. They met in each other's homes regularly. And was this occasional? No, this was every day. Daily is twice put at the front of the sentence in the Greek. And it points to this idea that this is not happening infrequently. This is day by day by day that people were sharing life. And that reminds me of uh, last spring if you were with us and we were studying Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. I I loved this phrase that we we got to look at and study that, that Paul wrote to this little church. He'd spent three weeks with them 
And he wrote them this letter back, and he said, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. They were sharing life together. Would you use that phrase to describe others in our church? That you are sharing life together. That you share life with these people. Now, of course, we couldn't do this in any effective way with everybody. But is there anybody who you are sharing life with in this place? How about anybody at all that you share life with? That you would use that phrase? Now, I'm not asking this to make you feel bad by any means. I'm asking this question because I want to invite you into seeing this possibility, to considering what that would even look like. The unity doesn't stop with just being together. It also says in the text that they shared everything in common. Their sharing was occasional. Not occasional in the sense that every once in a while. It was occasional in the sense that as there was a need, the people said, how can we meet that? How can we respond? It's hard for us to get this in our modern context, but in that day, the church was going to be progressively and increasingly persecuted, kicked out of jobs, businesses, partnerships. They were going to be pushed to the side. And their need for each other to care for one another was incredible. It was probably huge, desperate needs. And they met them. I don't want to read too much into this sharing as if this is a passage on communism. No, no. it's simply a lavishly generous church family responding to problems as they came up. This community was lavish in serving one another. It's like they wanted to apply Jesus' example of, of laying down his life on the cross for us. It's like they wanted to apply Jesus' kneeling down and washing the disciples' feet and say, that's what we're supposed to do. It's like they actually wanted to live those things out and serve each other's needs as they met. Now from my vantage point, I have this incredible gift of being able to hear, maybe more than most in this room, how this plays out in our church. I get to see example after example of serving one another. And I have to say that the place that I see it most often is in this crazy little thing we call a small group. <laughs> over and over and over again, I see small groups being communities where people are sharing life and serving one another. It was awesome and amazing to see how the small group that Michael and Roberta have led for some 20 years responded when we had to say goodbye to Ruth this past year. It was so beautiful and amazing to see that small group come together to love and to serve and to prepare food, to celebrate Ruth together. It was absolutely beautiful. Sharing life deeply in a time of need. What a beautiful picture of not having to do it alone. The people of God are called to share life and serve one another. We don't have to go alone, but we get to find others to share life with as we follow Jesus. Lastly, in this passage in Acts, we see this final little phrase with one more key element 
of this little community, which informs our study this morning. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, most importantly, this sentence is pointing to the reality that it is God who is the one who does the saving. However, there's a role that we have to play that God has invited us into. And in this phrase, there's something very important to notice. This was not a closed-off private community. Okay, we got everybody, we're good. The church was living out the call to be radically welcoming to others. This is one of the most incredible aspects of the early church. I've been reading um, N.T. Wright's biography of, of Paul, and it's this giant book. But it's, it's beautiful. And one of my favorite things that I've, I've stumbled across in this book was, was just how crazy welcoming the church was in that day. We don't get it because in, in, in our world today, we, we rapidly expound the virtues of being welcoming. And this is a good thing. But in that day, in the empire of Rome, this was not the case. This was not the case at all. When Paul says in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are children of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. This was revolutionary. And in some ways, this was actually even breaking the law. There was a specific exemption that was given to the Jewish community that they didn't have to worship the emperor. And so for Paul and this, this you know, new church that was coming out of Judaism to welcome in Gentiles, it was actually inviting them to break the law. It was so welcoming. They're saying this is more important. And all this is to say is that in this little phrase right here, when we see the phrase, the Lord added to the number daily, behind the scenes what was happening is that this community wasn't worried it wasn't worried about things like, oh, will this impact the friendship dynamics around here? <laughs> or, they're not like me over at that church. I want to go to a place with more people of my age and life situation. No, the church family was just that. It was a family united by one thing. They've been captured by Jesus. Jesus. And they've been brought together to this new community together. And what they did was to lavishly welcome others as the Lord added to their number. So what's the picture that we see developing out of this text? We see that Luke is describing what is it that we should notice here. He's saying people devoted to growing and understanding, sharing life, serving others, and being radically welcoming. The church was connecting people together to share life with as you follow Jesus. So what does this have to do with us today? How do we grow as followers today? And I think that there are some lessons for us, for our, our whole church family, when we look back to the roots of the early church, when we look back to the roots of that first church gathered in Jerusalem after Jesus. Because in our model of churches in America today, and in our church here, things have evolved since that first century in some potentially harmful ways. Now, I certainly wouldn't be saying that the church has made a mistake by eventually growing to the place where worldwide we have church families that build their own buildings and call pastors and elders and administrators. That's not a bad thing. There is so much good that has come from that. But there's also so much that can get lost today 
from not only what the early church did, but from what Jesus exemplified. When we grow to the place where we have 20-person church staffs and we're gathering in church stadiums and we think of church service as a place that you go on one day a week and it serves your needs. And what you can lose are the life-on-life shared relationships and we can even be threatened to lose this idea of a church family. So what do we do? How do we encourage our church to retain this identity? What happens here that would help us to share life with one another more and more? One of the ways, and not the only way, is through small groups. Well, what is a small group? (laughs) Whether you're hearing about small groups for the first time, or you are um, engaged in one right now, or you were burned by one in the past, it's important for us to consider this question. What is a small group? Is it just small and it's a group? I'll tell you what it isn't first. It isn't just a place for Bible nerds. And by that, I mean it's not simply just Bible studies or Beth Moore book studies. These groups have a lot more that they're after than just what does the Bible say. It also isn't just an insider club, just for mature Christians that, you know, they aren't designed to be places where if you are new to this whole Jesus thing that you're going to show up and just have to be the odd person out. It also isn't just in living rooms. It's not just going to a stranger's house and sitting and talking for two hours, which if you are an introvert in the room or from New England, you're like, that is the last thing I'd ever want to do. (laughs) Now, small groups are intended to be just like what our text describes today. Just like our text describes today. And we talk about this with small group leaders, this idea of small groups having four rhythms. And they actually kind of map out perfectly to the Acts text. It's almost like they were designed that way. (laughs) These, These are the four rhythms. Groups are about growing. The meat of small groups is focused on growth. And there are two parts to this. The groups are focused on the Bible and prayer. Yes, there is study. But it's an environment where you can ask questions. You can stop mid-passage and say, what does that word sanctified even mean? What's this fellowship word? Some groups spend the majority of their time doing that. Others spend the majority of their time in prayer, actually just talking with God, conversing with the Lord. You can't go wrong with a curriculum of the Bible and a practice of prayer. And these are a direct imitation of of the Acts 2 description, people devoted to growing and understanding. The second rhythm is that they're relational. Reading the Bible and prayer doesn't just happen in a vacuum. They're done in these small group gatherings of people within the context of investing and learning about one another's lives, the deep things that matter. Groups don't just meet and say, well, what does the Bible say about that? Now let's pray. They begin by saying, how's your family? What brings you joy? What is challenging you at work this week? What weighs heavily on your heart and your mind? It's about actually sharing life and knowing that you are known and that these are your people. And the prayer is that these relationships would extend far beyond just a weekly 
meeting time on Wednesday nights at 7.30. No, that they invite us into a daily togetherness like an ex. The third rhythm is that the groups are sent. We use this word sent at Community Church. You'll find it on your, your, your bulletin all over the place. In this context, when we talk about being sent within small groups, we're talking about the rhythm of being focused on serving each other's needs, serving our neighbor's needs, and serving our city. Small groups might take a whole season away from ever sitting in a living room because they're out serving at the open door at Beverly Bootstraps, cleaning up a beach together. They seek to meet needs and to demonstrate God's love given to them now with their neighbors, now with the city. The fourth rhythm is that groups are welcoming. No small group at Community Church is ever a closed-off group where no new people are allowed to join. Every group seeks to be radically welcoming. Now, it might be hard to hop into a group if they're in their final week of a year-long study. Fair. But every group is focused on being extravagantly welcoming to new people. And welcoming isn't just about welcoming new people. It's about welcoming others' whole lives. People who are not like yourself. We welcome one another's past, their experiences, their struggles, and their joys. Now, no small group is perfect by any means because they're made up of people and people are imperfect. And it's not going to all be sunshine and rainbows. I don't want to give off that promise this morning. Sometimes it's really hard. But it's a place where we can grow to be a family. It's a place where you can learn together how to actually follow Jesus in deeply personal ways. So I'm going to ask a really direct question. Why not? Why not? I want you to actually consider this. Stop and think about it for just a half second. Why not? Time. A lot of people are thinking, time. I don't have time, doesn't meet at my time. And this is going to sound like so dismissive. <laughs> and I hope it doesn't. But I am such a firm believer that we make time for what we think is important. Let me give you an example. For me, I think basketball is important. <laughs> I, no, I, I honestly do. I think getting over to the gym and, and, and playing basketball is a part of, of being active. It's a part of, of rest for me even. It's a part of meeting new people. I think it's important. And you better believe that even though there might be a host of things that come in the way, I'm going to hold that, that 12 o'clock, three times a week meeting because I think it's important. We make time for what we think is important. And I hope the focus of these last two weeks and the next two on our identity as disciples puts an urgency in us to say, this is important. This isn't how we're saved. This isn't about earning God's grace. But this is about responding to that invitation that Jesus gives to his disciples. Come follow me. And if you don't think you have time, that might be true. I'm not going to ask you to look for some space. I'm going to say make some space. Ask yourself what you think is actually important and maybe our calendar choices can reflect that reality of what we actually think is of the utmost importance. But I also want to be clear, I am not up here just promoting small groups. 
at all, by any means. It's not about getting you to join a community church small group. It's not about the program. It's about equipping and making disciples for the glory of God and for the good of the city. It's about you. And though I clearly think that it's not a bad idea to join a small group, the bigger picture question is this. Are you trying to follow alone? If you are, I want to ask why. Like me with bricklaying and a host of other issues, are you foolishly trying to figure it out alone? Don't follow alone. Find others to share life with as you follow Jesus. This doesn't have to be a brand new obligation, a brand new program. Think of the people you already spend time with. Maybe you meet with other young mothers for play dates someday a week. How could you incorporate into that time being devoted to God's teaching? Getting deeply to share with one another's lives. Considering how you could serve that person. Welcoming others radically into that place. Or maybe, just maybe, you should stop and consider joining a small group. You will benefit from it. You have the opportunity to serve others in it. And maybe most importantly, you have the opportunity to imitate the picture and the image of God who in his very nature gives us the perfect picture of loving community in the Trinity. This is how we were designed to exist. This is how we were designed to follow. The series is called Follow, a how-to. And really, practically, Sorry about that. <laughs> Did I just say seriously? Yeah. <laughs> Siri. I want you to seriously consider. Consider this. This is how we were designed to exist. This is how we were designed to follow Jesus. And I'm going to ask you the same question that Tim asked you a couple months back. Who are your people? And if you thought about it that Sunday and thought, that's a good question. I need to respond to that. And you haven't responded to that in the last couple months. I want to invite you. This morning is another opportunity. Who are your people? There are opportunities here to not go it alone. And perhaps a small group is a place to start. We should be captured by that as an opportunity. It's a practical place to consider starting to follow Jesus more and more this year. The small group is a place where you can find others to follow Jesus with as you share life with them. Let's go to the Lord and pray over these things. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you have not just saved us from sin that you have not just saved us from the penalty of punishment for wrongdoing. Hallelujah, God, you have invited us into new life to be transformed, to know the fullness of joy that is known in knowing you and following you, the living God. This isn't about just being set right, but being invited into life. God, we are so utterly thankful for who you are. What a God. So Lord, 
we ask that you would give us wisdom to know how to respond, to keep in step with your Spirit, to listen to you, to follow you wherever you would have us go. God, let, let us not settle for the anonymity of being in a giant group. Give us the courage to find others, Lord. Give us the courage to seek out others that we would share life with one another. God, we need wisdom, each and every one of us, to know how to do this thing called life. And you've given each one of us experiences that may be a benefit to others. And so God, I pray that we would not squander that, but that we would respond in kind to your kindness with love for one another that imitates your love. God, you're so, so good to us. We want our lives to exemplify, to model the love that you've given to us. So call us further towards you. Call us deeper in. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your most holy and precious name. Amen.